Welcome to For the Love of Books, a podcast by Culture at NL Libraries. Hello everyone, thank you for coming back to the Culture and Ale Libraries podcast for the love of books. My name is Chris Wilson and I'm the eServices librarian and today I am joined with Drew Feeney uh, through his, the librarian at Airdrie Library and Rosemary Stewart who has been on the podcast already before, um, the customer service librarian for Motherwell and Wishaw area. Uh, welcome to the podcast guys. Hello. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. Um, How are you? Thank you for joining me today and thank you for coming back as well, Rosemary. Um, we are here to have another wee chat about some of our favourite debut novels. Um, so the topic today is where did that idea come from? So what we thought we would do is have a wee chat about why we think, what we think a little bit about debut novels and then kind of go on to some of our favourites and things like that. So why don't we start off with having a wee think about why do we think some debut novels become big hits? Because some do kind of have, end up having a little bit of an explosion when they first came out. So, um, Drew, have you got any thoughts on that at all? Well, I think, I was thinking about this when we were discussing beforehand, Chris, about what, what sort of makes a, makes or breaks a great debut novel. And I think a lot of times things like critical acclaim can, can really sort of propel something from an unknown quantity to being a blockbuster hit. Um, I was thinking about um, a, a wonderful debut novel that I read a wee, a wee while ago now. It's called The Loney by Andrew Michael Hurley, um, which is a really sort of folk horror, sort of scary supernatural thing um, that was actually originally published in a really small print run of something like 400 copies with a really small independent Scottish publisher. Um, but through word of mouth and critical acclaim and and a lot of the big sort of Sunday papers and things like that became was picked up by a, a much bigger publishing house and was published as a on a much bigger print run and uh, ended up in all the sort of mainstream shops and things like that. And that was purely because critical acclaim just built something that was very small into something very big. So I think that's got a lot to do with it. Um, uh, and word of mouth and things like that as well uh, is, is a big reason why debut novels um, sort of go from nothing to 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 big hits. Yeah, yeah. Rosemary, have you got any other thoughts on how how they become a massive hit overnight? Yes, 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 I do. Um, I mean, a lot of what Drew has said, you know, I would concur with. But I've spent several decades working in book selling in libraries. And I've concluded there's no definitive answer to the question, but there are a number of influences, a number of factors that influences how well a book will sell, how popular it is in libraries. And obviously publicity is a major driver. Publishers spend a fortune on the release of a new book um, to ensure they reach as many people as they can with their publicity. They have author tours, festival appearances, television and radio chat show bookings. If a book, um, if an author can get onto one of the major shows like, say, the Radio 2 Book Club, Graham Norton, Radio 4 Book of the Week, I mean, that's really a gift to the author. Uh, then there are things like literary prizes, um, book yeah. awards. Now, the Richard and Judy Club has been a major driver of sales, giving huge exposure to books. And standout examples of debut novels that have done well on their list are, and now some of them were published before the year in which they were on Richard and Judy, so 
it's not just Richard and Judy, but you know, it would have helped enormously. So, so enormously. So some famous examples would be 2004, Monica Ali's Brick Lane. Mm-hmm. 2005, Audrey Niffenegger's Time Traveler's Wife. That was published in 2003. Then more recent times, 2012, uh, S.G. Watson's Before I Go to Sleep. Now, I'm sure all three of us can remember these as yes. major, major titles. Yeah. Man Booker as well. Okay, that is sort of, you know, the literary cream. But it's been key over the years in promoting fiction. It sells hardback novels, um, which is not easy. Um, a very notable debut that won the prize is Aaron Dutty's Roy's God of Small Things in 97. Um, yeah. But you've got to look at the other side. There are many books, that, and, and Drew did touch on this, that are published that surprise everyone and just become runaway bestsellers. I mean, how do all the publishers that rejected Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone <laughs> Depends what online site you look at, but you know, it's in double figures. I think the number of publishers that rejected it before Bloomsbury offered her an advance and reading, you know, online what the advance was, even for the late 90s, it wasn't, you know, which is a while ago, it wasn't that big. So I don't necessarily think even Bloomsbury could have foreseen what would happen there. And then I found another famous example, which I thought was really interesting. Louis Lamour, the writer of Westerns, he was rejected by hundreds of publishers before he was published. And then he go, went on to sell several hundred million books. Yes, yes. Um, the definitive. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's quite amazing. But if I could just give out a few rejection comments from publishers of very famous books, they're very funny. Um, <laughs> Orwell's Animal Farm, the initial publisher says, we have no conviction that this is the right point of view from which to criticise a political situation at the present time, and the work was rejected. Well, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love this. The Wind and the Wall is an irresponsible holiday story that will never sell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And there was another very good one. Uh, Joseph Heller's uh, Cut 22 apparently he named his satirical book about World War II after the 22 rejections he received here's one, I haven't foggiest idea what this man is trying to say um, so these are very famous books that have stood the test of time, they're still on the bookshelves yet and nobody foresaw it, so publishers for all their experience and the way they tune in to the media and all the rest of it. Sometimes they miss things and you get a surprise bestseller on your hands. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, it's, we, do, we just don't know, but sometimes they become a big hit, I think, because they're of their time. Uh, Barbara Taylor Bradford's debut novel was A Woman of Substance, and that's been a massive seller, millions and millions since it was published in 79. And I just kind of think, you know, her books follow a common pattern young woman of humble background, rising business through years of hard work, self sacrifice. And, you know, she's writing about ordinary women there. Well, Thatcherism was just coming in in 79 when that book was published. And that was the era of the ethos was hard work, self-sufficiency, business success. And I just think it tuned into the time. 
But having said that, it's been published, republished, and still on the bookshelves and libraries and bookshops. So I don't think there really is a formula. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. But I think that, that, that can be a downside too, can't it? If you have a big debut novel in a certain that's written in a certain way that's that fits within a certain genre, then the pressures are on to, to essentially recapture that. And and you could end up being pigeonholed within a genre that you perhaps as an author had no intention of sort of staying in. You maybe have had one book in you that was in a particular genre crime or sort of gothic fiction or something like that. But given that it becomes a success, then you're sort of tied to it. The one I was thinking about as well, a more contemporary one, was um, The Shock of the Fall by Nathan Filer, which won the Costa Prize a few years back. And we were lucky enough to have him visit, uh, I think it was Wishaw Library, to, to talk about it round about that time. And, and on that at that particular event, Nathan Filer said something that's kind of stayed with me. He said, someone else, a question from the audience was... Um, what's your next book going to be about? And, and he said, well, this was my debut novel. I won the cost of prize. And he said, to be honest, I don't, I don't particularly have another book in me. And, and it's kind of followed that way that he's never written another novel. He's, he's since written really sort of uh, highly praised nonfiction, but he's never published another novel. And, and that, that's been a really interesting thing because I think he was aware of being pigeonholed. That particular book was was an issues-based book about mental health and it was very successful in what it depicted. And I think the pressure, he described the pressure on him from publishers to write more of the same when when he felt he had said all he wanted to say about a particular issue within that first novel. So I think there's a danger if you're successful with your first book that they want more of the same from you. Yes, I think there is that, but that suits some authors. You know, um, Barbara Taylor Bradford has gone on to write many, many more. And, you know, she found her niche... Um, but yes, and I mean, another famous case of a famous debut, and I spoke about this in my last podcast, was Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes, yeah. Now, decades passed, and it was really only within the last, I don't know, I think maybe five or six years, that she published a follow-up. But there was huge pressure on her to write again, and she never did. Um, until, you know, a few years before she died, she published a book. And that was a follow-up to uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. But then again, To Kill a Mockingbird was such a massive mm. success. She, did, she, could, she probably didn't need to write another book, but she kind of said, well, what makes you think there's another book in me? I don't know yeah. if she actually used words, yeah. but there was pressure on it. Everybody said, come on, write another one. And she was sort of saying, well, you know, I have to have a book in me, and I don't at the moment. Mm. Um, so, yes, it does, it does create... Um, expectations on people yeah i think if you, if you win a prize if you win a prize like like the cost of prize or something your debut novel can skyrocket if there's word of significant word of mouth i think about like eleanor oliphant you know that that became a massive book and it was word of mouth within within the bookshops and libraries that that people got behind it though these are all really important things there is no magic formula but, but if all of these things combine then debut novels can as I say, go from nothing to, to becoming blockbusters. Do you, do you think that, that the, the kind of modern, sort of, one of the modern ways of kind of getting a book out there with kind of like blog tours and book bloggers and things like that, do you think that can, that can be kind of a big helpful way of getting kind of that kind of initial book out there as well, if they can kind of get involved in kind of popular book bloggers and things? Yeah, I think, personally, I do think it does. I mean, it used to be that authors did signing sessions. I can remember 
and I'm sure you two maybe can as well, signing sessions. But at that point, there was retail price maintenance books on books called Netbook Agreement. All books were sold at the same price. But I kind of think now signing sessions, because you can buy books much, much more cheaply online or in supermarkets than you can sometimes in the bookshops, I don't think signing sessions are quite as popular. So they, they, they do, I think they do raise awareness via blogs and um, you know social media now. And I think... I think it's just the way that the trade has evolved and how things have moved on. Yeah, I think I think we would all we, the three of us would be giving ourselves a disservice if we didn't mention libraries as well as as somewhere mm. to kind of help kind of raise awareness of debut novels because obviously libraries do get in many novels throughout the course of the year, not always necessarily bestsellers to start off with, and and that and and having that access to it in a local setting and then that kind of helps kind of raise word of mouth between people and kind of passes between kind of other readers as well and and we can kind of then see the trend of that kind of book kind of picking up popularity and and possibly kind of get additional copies of it or put it on, out on displays and things like that sort of stuff and uh, every little bit helps i think in kind of terms of picking up kind of the the popularity of, of the title I do think that a lot of hardback fiction um, of, you know, new authors or not very well-known authors, it couldn't be published if libraries weren't taking copies. If libraries throughout the country didn't buy those hardback fictions. So I think, you know, that backing up your point, you know, we are crucial when it comes to new authors or less popular authors. Um, those books would never sell on hardback if it wasn't for libraries buying them. They just wouldn't get the exposure because, you know, people wouldn't be prepared to shell out, you know, fifteen, sixteen pound on a book, um, that's very much an unknown quantity. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't agree with you enough on that. We are crucial. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah, sorry, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say that, that from our from our experience here in Airdrie, um quite a few sort of local authors recently have, have sort of hit the national headline. Um, I'm thinking of, of uh, authors like David Keenan and particularly at the moment Graham Armstrong, whose debut novels um something that's really, really popular just now. It's called The Young Team. Um, and it's something that, that we see and we hear about in advance as librarians. We hear about it in advance and we can spot usually what's going to be popular based on kind of themes. But these sort of books maybe catches unawares uh, and particularly locally when they have a strong sort of local flavour as these books have but that translates nationally as well that's really a kind of winning ticket you know where you can see something that 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 themes are universal but they very much are, are sort of local as well and um, so those are two that are that are really interesting and those are two debut novels that that we have seen here has been been something that have caught us by surprise but but very pleasantly so yeah and and I was going to kind of ask as well, do, do we think that, that sometimes the sort of good debut novels get a little bit of extra praise because they are they are the kind of first novel by, by authors? Uh, do you, something you mentioned a wee bit earlier, Drew, about the kind of follow-ups and things like that, I think sometimes, I, I do think sometimes it adds a bit of pressure to, to the author to kind of, to when they do kind of bring out that second book as to, to try and kind of reach that same height and, and it's whether that... The books are maybe kind of same in terms of quality, but because that first book's received that much press and, and, and popularity, that that second book kind of is always a bit of a struggle as well. Yeah, I agree. I think I think things that there's a real trend within publishing that debut novels 
are, are, are very much sort of promoted at the moment. And these are a lot of the titles that you see that are big name things at the moment are debuts. One that, that I was thinking about just along those very lines, Chris, was the, the Tattooist of Auschwitz, which I'm reading just now by Heather Morris, um, which was based on a true story, but it was a novel um, uh, around about a love story that happened in, in the 1940s, obviously, in Poland. But there was a sequel um, came out, and I think there was maybe... I'm not really sure of the story. There was a sequel that was the sort of same, the same sort of themes, um, but was perhaps taken from a kernel of of um, of a true story, but and much more developed, much more as a novel than the first book was. And I think that there seemed to be sort of pressure on the author to revisit that. Um, I think that's that's a difficulty when when you've maybe told a story, like I said at the beginning, you've told a story and you feel you've told it, and the pressure is to go back and tell some more of it. Yeah, you know, that yeah. that can be hard. But I do think debut novels are something that are um, that are hot in the publishing world right now, and it's it's quite a fashionable thing, if that's the word to use, to promote debut novels and and to to big up debut novelists. Yeah, and just kind of search for that next big star in in the literary Absolutely. world. Yeah. Um, well, we go on to um our next one, which is kind of what what makes a great debut novel great for you. I mean, I think this is something that's kind of personal for everybody. But um, what what kind of makes um a great debut novel stand out for you, Rosemary? Well, um, what makes a debut novel stand out for me? Well, I have read various debut novels, and they've been great for different reasons, really. If they speak about their time, um, you know, as I mentioned Barbara Taylor Bradford, that was of its time. And it, it's not time, it, is, it was of its time, but it has remained a bestseller. It is quite good to be reading about things of the time. Now, a debut that I read, and you'll both know this, although it's uh, quite some time, it's 1982 this was published, Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, mm -hmm. age 13 and three quarters. It was the first book in the Adrian Mole series. It was by Sue Townsend. And it was written in a diary style, and it was about a teenager who believed himself to be an intellectual, but he had many worries and he regrets. It's set in 81 and 82, and in the background, it refers to historic events of its time, Falcon's War, Wedding of Charles and Diana, Birth of Prince William. Um, Mole, Adrian Moles, he's a fierce critic of Margaret Thatcher, a listener is one of his worst enemies. Um, so as I was reading it, you know, I could sort of recognise the era because it's what I was living in. Um, but obviously the quality of the writing, I mean, Sue Townsend was very funny. I really enjoyed the series, you know, a very funny writer. Uh, and part of the humour as well is that Adrian Moore was a bit of an unreliable narrator. He didn't really understand what was going on around him and he mm. interpreted things rather in his own way, shall we say. Mm. Um, so there was many sequels to that. Uh, and I won't say I've read them all, but... They came with titles like The Growing Pains of Adrian Mole, Adrian Mole, The Wilderness Years, The Cappuccino Years, <laughs> um, Adrian Mole and The Weapons of Mass Destruction. So it went through the different eras and, you know, the, the character developed. He was just very, very funny, Adrian mm. Mole. Mm. You know, 
to me, that was a great debut novel, and I think it's probably one of those novels nobody could have really predicted. Yeah, you know, success. Did, I, did either of you read it? Do you remember? Yes. It? Yeah, I remember it from from long time ago. They were very funny, but very relatable as well. And yes. I haven't kind of finished or followed the series on, but I would imagine it would still be relatable now. You know. Kind of thirty years later or whatever. I don't know, Chris. Did you ever get through them at school or anything I like ha- that? No, I have to admit, it's not one I've read. I have to admit. Mm. Well, you know, yes, I I do agree. He's he's a character that um, is universal to the years. Really, you know, just doesn't quite understand what's going on around him. Uh, and gets things wrong, and he's got all sorts of worries and things, and it's just. It's just very funny and very warm in its way, very satirical. And I, do, I don't really think, you know, because it was written almost, you know, really almost 40 years ago, that it's lost its edge, yeah. really. Yeah. I really recommend it. Um, so, yeah, there's many different reasons, you know, why a debut becomes a debut and why I would enjoy it. But I do kind of like reading things that I can relate to. Yeah. I, you know, the the world around you and his world view of what was going on at that time, you know, it's just part of my era at that time. Yeah. Drew, have you got any uh, kind of what makes a great great for a debut for great for you? Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, Rosemary. I think if if, if it's relatable or, or the characters are relatable, I think that's a real hook. But for me, I think originality of, of sort of idea or, or voice. Um, from the author, I, I recently read um, the debut novel Pine, it's called Pine by Francine Toon and yeah. it was a, a wonderful sort of supernatural sort of literary kind of kind of ghost story and it was set in the, the far north of Scotland um, and, and really sort of fantastical themes but it was done in such an original kind of way that you couldn't fail to be sort of brought along with it in an environment that was very familiar, um, but but with supernatural themes that were very very unfamiliar. But you were kind of sort of went along with it because the idea sort of hooked you. Um, and other examples of that I was thinking about was uh, an American author Gabriel Talent, who's who's uh, his debut novel uh, My Absolute Darling. It's a kind of book group favourite within the library. Um, there was a real originality of voice there, and the story was told from the perspective of a young girl. Um, and a, a, who lives with her father um, and, and sort of things that ensue from there. Um, it was a very, very interesting book, lots of great discussion on it, but again, it was that originality of voice from the author was something that was um, that really kind of grabs you. Elizabeth is, Miss, is Missing was another wonderful title like that, a, a perspective, a novel told from the perspective of, of a, a dementia sufferer, which was a new kind of voice and a new way of telling things and a new approach to to, to literature, so something like that. I agree, relatability, but also something different. Something different. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, Adrian Mole was very sort of relatable, but something for me that was very different was Kashi Shiguru's A Pale View of Hills. Mm. Now, that was his debut, but here's an example of somebody who was more famous for his um, a later book and I think it drove people back to his earlier books, which certainly my case, because my introduction to Kashi Shiguro was the remains of the day. Yes. Um, and 
after I'd read that, I thought this was wonderful writing. There was not a sentence out of place. You know, you just knew it was a wonderful writer. Um, and I thought, I want to read his earlier books. So I read a couple of his earlier books, A Pale View of Hills and Artists of the Floating World. But I'm mentioning Pale View of Hills here because that was his neighbour. Um, and he's one of our most well-known, you know, contemporary fiction authors. Uh, and he is, uh, he was listed by Time magazine, Never Let Me Go was listed by a later book as the best novel of the year. So, you know, he's really up there. But I, Pale View of Hills, I think, was written in 82, but I read it in the 90s. Um, and it's because I've read The Remains of the Day. And it's, you know, Kasia Shiguru, he tells the story of Itsuko, a Japanese woman now living alone in England, dwelling on the recent suicide of her daughter. Reaching into the past, she finds herself reliving a hot summer night in Nagasaki, and she and her friends are struggling to rebuild their lives after the war. And she recalls a strange uh, friendship with Sashiko, um, and the memories took on a disturbing past. And it's a book I've still got on my bookshelf many years later, and it's a bit dog-eared, but, you know, it's one of these books that's just really, really stayed with me, and I would never let this book go. Um, I probably should buy a nice fresh copy to reread it, but mm -hmm. the original cover and everything was brilliant. Everything about this book, the physical production of it, the cover, the, the typeface, it's published by Faber, I absolutely loved, and for me, I'd never really read anything quite as brilliant, in my opinion. At that point, I'd read it in my life. And then I went on to read Artist of the Floating World, and I read it with the same, same pleasure and wonder. Obviously, Ishiguro himself was born in Japan. I think it was 54. And then when he moved to, he moved to England uh, when he was five years old and has lived here ever since. And you know he is one of the world's you know top authors and it's just a wonder that is a debut it wasn't the book that i read first it's not his most famous book um but because remains of the day was so famous i moved back to it and i really enjoyed it i really recommend it that's that's a wonderful it's a wonderful point because if you think about someone like hillary mantel you know who who becomes yeah becomes in the popular consciousness um, with novels, Wolf Hall, Bring Up the Bodies, and Now Mirror in the Light, and and those are uh, Hilary Mantel's. I don't I don't know the, the the exact number, but twenty odd books in is when she sort of you know hits yes. the popular consciousness. But what it does do is drive you back to the original book. You know, House on Gazar Street, I think, was the the debut. But the, the ones that come immediately after, things like Beyond Black, Black, things mm -hmm. like A Place of Greater Safety. You know, these books are are fabulous, and it's later success that drives you backwards with this with these sorts of authors which is yeah. a, a wonderful thing because you can then sort of follow their career almost in reverse and and when you see them when you read a debut novel there you see the the, the sort of the beginnings of what they would later become you know and I think for me yeah. that's she's a similar sort of author as Ishiguru is for you Rosemary an author that you find later that you go backwards with yeah, and you can yeah. you can find sort of hidden gems in the in the kind of history of 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 the author's kind of um, bibliography, if you like. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I was uh, I, I was going to say uh, to me I, I don't really kind of have anything anything that kind of sets a, a debut novel too much apart from a kind of any other novel really because I, I just look for the same thing in, 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 in any any book that I can look for kind of similar to what you were saying Drew just something that's really kind of really grabs you it's kind of something that's instantly um, readable and just hooks you right in and wants you to kind of keep going and going and going as, you, as you're reading through and has great characters that are relatable or the situation you can kind of pick up on and 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 kind of uh, vividly imagine within within the pages as you read it and things like that so i i don't really kind of have a a kind of a separate mindset whenever i'm picking a debut novel over kind of any other novel really and and I don't, it doesn't kind of factor too much into my, to my selection process, if you like, yeah, of whenever I'm picking yeah. a book. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of move on. I know you've kind of mentioned a few of debut novels there that you that, that are big ones for you in the past. Um, I'll kind of mention a few. Drew, you keep stealing some of the ones that I was going to mention later on oh, in the I podcast. <laughs> so, um, so before you steal any more, I'll kind of, I'll kind of step in. Uh, but uh, some of my favourite debut novels that I've read, um, a couple of them I have actually just kind of read fairly recently. One is Sal by Mick Kitson, um, which is um, set in set in Scotland, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful story of kind of two two sisters. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a horrible backstory. I mean, they, they're on the run because of, a, of an a, a abusive family um, situation and they go on the run. But the, the, the lovely part of it is the kind of the sisterly love that they've got between each other and and the way they kind of they look after each other while they're, they're on the run and things. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely story. And, and again, you can kind of really kind of buy into the characters and, and the settings kind of well described and things like that in the book as well. Another one that I was going to mention was um, Elizabeth is missing, uh, which you've mentioned already. Mm-hmm. Again, like you say, it's it's a it's a I, I find that a really interesting read because I, uh, Emma Healy really kind of describes living with dementia really well and really vividly, and it kind of and the way some of the kind of paragraphs she she almost loses her thought halfway through far paragraphs and yeah. and it, and it really easily kind of puts across how how the condition kind of can would affect people um which which uh, i think is very well done in that particular case and another one i was going to mention was um anatomy of a soldier by harry parker which um one of our colleagues hillary um petrie mentioned in our world book night event that we had um that's a fantastic novel and and again it kind of is in a similar kind of position to the nathan fowler one for harry parker hasn't hasn't uh, at this point anyway um another book after writing that one and it's a really interesting novel because it's a it's a story that's told chapter by chapter on the by the perspective of different inanimate objects within the story so there's no kind of lead character, well, there is a lead character, but it's, but that's not the focus of each chapter. Each chapter is described, and 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 it's not even made clear at the start of the chapter what the item is that's telling that part of the story. And you kind of it slowly gets revealed as you kind of walk your way through, and and it's and it's just such a unique way how to have, have written a story and. And it has you kind of guessing what the item is as the story is unveiled, but also the the, the actual 
underlying story of the whole book is such an emotional story as well, which is which is fantastic. Which I, it, it was something that really kind of was I find really unique, but um, but a, 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 a fantastic novel. So, Drew, have you got any other ones that you want to put in as some of your so, favourites? So favourites, yeah, there's quite a few. Some of, some have mentioned already. I really enjoyed the Lone Andrew Michael Hurley. It's a wonderful sort of folk horror, very atmospheric. Seek that out if you can. We've got plenty of copies of that in the library. But I enjoyed The Girls by Emma Klein, which was kind of based on the, the, the sort of Manson murders in California in the 1960s, but a, a sort of fictional version of it. Um, that was a, a really kind of interesting read. Um, Claire Fuller, I don't know if either of you have read Our Endless Number of Days, which was her debut novel. And it was about a father and a daughter in a, 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 in a log cabin um, where the, the world around about them, literally the world around about them, had um, disappeared. Um, but with an uh, amazing, an absolute twist and sting in the tail in the last couple of pages of that book. So that's a wonderful one to seek out too. But I think my all-time favourite debut novel debut novel is um, Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. And I think um, because like J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter, that uh, introduced a character to fiction and to popular culture and to the public kind of consciousness that literally changed the world. And, and that's that's a debut novel that still is current, it's still exciting, it's still uh, glamorous, it's still dangerous um, 50, 60 years later. So I think my all-time favourite debut novel is, is Casino Royale, for definite, for definite. Rosemary, have you got any favourite ones you want to fire in as well? Uh, I've got a few more that I could mention. Um, I mentioned when we were talking about awards and, you know, their effect on sales of books and the profile of books. I mentioned Monica Alley's Brick Lane. Um, it was set in East of London and switches between East London and Bangladesh. Uh, it starts with the birth of the central character Nazim in 67 and what was then known as East Pakistan. Uh, the majority of the novel is concerned with events after her arranged marriage. She comes to England at age 18, has little knowledge of England and lives with her new and, you know, and unappealing husband, Shanu. Um, there's a lot of humour in the book. It's, you learn a lot about multicultural living in this country. And I just think that Monica Ali was a fresh new voice um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I don't want to give too much of the story away for people who might want to read it. It's a very, it's a very, it is a very mixed story. It's a lot of humour, sadness, but it opened your mind, gives you an insight into other people's lives, other people's cultures, and moving into a, a different culture. And I, I can't really recommend it enough. I really did enjoy it. Uh, another absolute favourite. And we don't really, a discussion about debut novels doesn't normally really go back this far. Um, but I would like to mention Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. That was a debut novel. And it was published, obviously, a very long time ago. And I can remember reading an abridged version at primary school. And it really fired up my imagination. Everybody knows the story of Jane Eyre. And I came back to it. As an adult, but, you know, in my, you know, I wouldn't describe myself as a young adult at the time. I would have been 20s, 30s. And 
to me, a book is, you know, if it's a very good book, had an influence in your life and thinking it stayed with you. And sort of Jane Eyre has stayed with me. And the copy of that book I've got will never go off my bookshelves. Um, I went on to read some of her other books, which are not as famous, but they're still in print. Villette, Shirley, The Professor. I've just been felt inspired to read more. And to me, that is a, you know, a very famous debut. Uh, you, it's interesting you mentioned Andrew Hurley, The Loney. I recently bought that, Drew, mm. and I've not read it yet, but you know, you've made me feel I want to read it. Francis, uh, is it Francis Page 2? You mentioned yes, that. Yes, Francis. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've been reading about that recently, and I thought, oh, I quite fancy that, and it's good to get a recommendation there. Uh, so, Deborah novels come in all shapes and sizes and, you know, where would the book trade and libraries be without them? They keep our minds fresh and mm. uh, us to read new things and the new, you know, sometimes new authors need nurturing and that's part of what the library service is there for to give exposure to the things that you might not see in the bookshelves, you might not see in Tesco, you might not might not be highlighted in Amazon. We can give a shop window to these things, so to speak. Uh, and I think her role is very important in that respect. Yeah. Do um, Rosemary mentioned a couple there that she's looking forward to reading. Have you got any debut novels that you haven't read, but it's on your kind of to read list? Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking. I've been thinking about this, and and one of the books that I've always been drawn to but never get round to is the the Silent Companions by Laura Purcell. Um, oh, yeah. Laura Purcell being a a, a sort of prize winner um, for this particular book. But there's been two or three afterwards, um, similar sort of themes, bit Victorian sort of gothic, um, sort of, you know, kind of a wee bit sort of ghost story-esque, but not really some supernatural elements, or at least it seems to be. Um, but it's it's a book, you know, never judge a book by its cover, but these books have beautiful covers and, and are wonderfully kind of presented. So that's one that I'm really looking forward to. Um, I, that's one that I've kind of got my eye on when I get a minute. And when the the pile at the side of the bed goes down a wee bit, I think Laura Purcell will be um, probably next up. That'll be my next debut novel that I'll I'll, I'll tackle. Rosemary, have you got any that you're? Planning? Yes, I do have one that um, I think has just been published, and it's called Beth Maury Saving Missy. I don't know if any of you, either of you, have come across mm, it. Not yet. Yeah. And I'm just going to read the blurb from the back of the book. Miss Carmichael's life, Missy Carmichael's life has become small. She's grieving for a family that she's lost or lost touch with. She's haunted by the echoes of footsteps in the family home, the sound of the radio in the dark, the tick, tick, tick of the clock. Miss, Miss, Missy is spiky, defensive, but she knows her loneliness is all her own fault. She deserves no more than this after what she's done. But then there's a chance encounter with two very different women and it opens the doors for her to something new and another life beckons for Missy. And, you know, the blurb ends by saying, if only she can be brave enough to grasp the opportunity. But 79 is too late for a second chance, isn't it? And I just thought that was a blurb. I've not read no reviews of it yet. I've not attempted to read reviews, but I just thought that blurb tells you a bit but not too much. Her loneliness is all her own fault after what she's done. You don't know what she's done. And then you find out she's 79 and another life beckons. What is that life? And I just thought that was a really good um, blurb. Uh, 
The Sunday Times have said, I mean, I've not read the review, but they've said it's touching, deftly written about this, and it celebrates community and kindness. I have a feeling this might be a bit of a feel-good novel in its way, and I think after, you know, what's been happening in the world at the moment, it would be quite good to have a feel-good <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, a couple of ones that I'm looking forward to reading that I've not got round to just yet. One of them is has been out for a long time, and Drew, you mentioned you've actually mentioned both of them so far, Drew. Oh, so, so um, uh, uh, there's the shock of of the fall uh, that I've that I've had for a long, long time, but it's just never reached the top of my to read list for various reasons. Um, but it's still there, and I'd definitely love to read it. Um, uh, I've kind of always kind of like the story of you telling me the, the, ages ago about how you said that he doesn't really kind of have another novel on him. I, I don't know why it kind of always stuck to me, and I just thought I, I would really like to read it just to kind of see what the story is that he's written and 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 kind of maybe kind of see if, if, if there is any particular reason in the story as to why you might not want to write another book. Um, and the other one is The Young Team um, by Graham Armstrong that, that I've that I've uh, recently got got as well. Um, it's kind of it's. I, I I saw Graham Armstrong um, on social media at one point and and it, and his and his backstory a little bit kind of just kind of it was kind of just um, it was something that kind of just uh, it picked I picked up on a little bit and and I thought he's he's from a kind of similar area to to us yeah um, and. And it, and that kind of the lifestyle that he's kind of portrays is nothing like the lifestyle that I have experienced. But but at the same time, I I, I know various people that have experienced that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. So it'd be a, I just thought it'd be an interesting read to kind of can see what's mentioned there and, and how that that book progresses as well. Um, but yeah, so that's some great kind of I think we've managed to find a lot of great recommendations there for people to have a look at. Um, and um. I was going to give a little bit of a shout out as well to our adult reading challenge before we wrap up the podcast, the Great Bookish Menu, and I'm sure that there would be great possibilities to kind of read some debut novels within the categories for the book, Great Bookish Menu. You can sign up for that on our website um, if you go to www.culturenl.co.uk and go to the library section. There's a Great Bookish Menu part there, and. The Great Bookish Menu is um, a reading challenge where you're challenged to read six books over the course of the summer based on different themes. And the themes are to read a work of historical fiction, read a book on your must-read list, read a book with a one-word title, read a work of Scottish crime fiction, and read a book that's set in a made-up place, and read a work of fiction that's been banned in the past. So... There is definitely some debut novels that fall into all of those categories. Um, one or two that we've actually probably mentioned in um, the podcast today probably even fit into that as well somewhere. So um, do check that out and do sign up and um, get involved with that some reading challenge. But I think that's how it's come to the end of the podcast day. So thank you very much, Drew and Rosemary, for joining us. Um, that was a great kind of discussion, I think, on some fantastic novels. Um, and thank you as well for all the listeners and I hope you've enjoyed it and do look out for future podcast uh, episodes coming very soon so thank you guys, bye, bye for now